You're listening to the In the Rhythm podcast from the Johnson & Johnson Institute. Dr. Wright and Dr. Silverstein are being compensated by and presenting on behalf of Biosense Webster, Inc. and must present information in accordance with applicable regulatory requirements. We really didn't have the resources to be running the number of labs that we typically would run. And I'll tell you, that brought the administrators to us to have a discussion, a frank discussion about what the vision is for the EP department, how we can make it more effective, and what the proper resourcing is that we need in order to accomplish our shared goals and visions. I think data is really important. So collecting data uh, to be able to show, you know, what the current state is, and then also showing data that can be compared to, say, other institutions of where the prospect is going and, and to show what can be done. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of our In the Rhythm podcast from Biosense Webster. I'm Dave Jackson, and I'll be your host throughout the program. This is the first in a two-part series with our very special guests, Dr. Jennifer Wright and Dr. Joshua Silverstein, where we're going to be talking about creating efficient and healthy environments in our labs. So let's get right to it and ask our guests to introduce themselves. Dr. Wright, welcome. Well, hi, I'm Jennifer Wright from the University of Wisconsin, and I've been an academic electrophysiologist since 2011 and just starting the journey in EP lab efficiency for two young years. Great. Glad to have you here. Dr. Silverstein. Yeah, my name is uh, Joshua Silverstein. I'm a lab director at Allegheny General Hospital here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm also uh, very excited for this opportunity to discuss something I'm really passionate about, which is lab efficiency. And I have learned a lot from Jennifer, too. We've known each other, and I look forward to learning more from you again. All right. Well, it's great to have you both here. Let's go ahead and jump right into, uh, let's say, a 30,000-foot view on efficient and healthy working environments in our labs. What are some things that are foundational in your minds? Dr. Brett, I'm going to ask you to go first. So I think we can look at this in three ways. Um, the first and most important is uh, value in our work, um, perceived by the patient, perceived by our staff, and um, at all parts of the team. And so part of that is creating expectations and trying to meet the expectations and setting them up with everybody that you're working around. And so creating that joy in work um, is really important for staff retention and for really producing that product and the end product in medicine, of course, is very important, which is a uh, higher quality of care. So efficiency equals quality and care. That's what is, is also really paramount to understand with the efficiency process. It's not cutting corners, but it's actually improving the quality of care that we provide for our patients. I would say that was the, the bird's eye view when it comes to staffing, but also talking about patient care. So when we are talking about efficiency and quality of care, we're helping to improve the lives of our patients, particularly our arrhythmia patients when we're talking about EP. And the specific syndrome that comes about when we talk about this a lot is atrial fibrillation because the numbers of atrial fibrillation are only increasing. And so how do we get this, these patients in sooner to the lab, earlier in the disease process to modify their disease process and also do it in a manner that they're going to have the best outcomes possible. So I think those three aspects of things are really important. Excellent. Dr. Silverstein, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, number one is patient care. We have to 
um, get as many of these patients who are sick and that are needing the services of the EP lab in, in a timely manner. And I agree with you also that this is all about quality improvement and doing things as efficiently and effective as possible while minimizing complications and improving uh, the quality we provide. Um, the other thing, which I think you also mentioned, was um, work-life balance and uh, making sure that we take care of our staff and provide an environment for them um, so that they'll want to continue working with us and providing excellent care to our patients. And as you know, Jennifer, it takes so much time um, and effort to train staff um, and to develop a good culture in your lab. And um, the more efficient you are, I think the happier everyone is. Um, that you're able to get out on time, um, be with your families. And I always, you know, stress that, that, you know, all of us, our number one priority should be our families and our life outside of work. And yeah, we spend most of our time with our work families. Um, but really at the end of the day, we need to get home to our, our, our other families and our other um, parts of our life. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you both to dig a little deeper on this. This is, this is being human, right? Uh, listening to complaints and conflict management and protecting our staffs, nurturing and things like this. What are your thoughts on these types of issues? Dr. Wright? Yeah. So it, complaints always come from something. And so I think you need to delve into what, where the complaints actually come from and the root cause. So an important part of this whole journey in EP lab efficiency is to collect data and to look what, what isn't working, what is working, but you have to really look at this holistically and, and look at it from many, many angles before embarking on the journey, because you don't know what to fix if you don't know what's broken and you don't know what to keep if you don't know what is working. So I think that, you know, originally when we started this, there were there were a um, number of, I wouldn't say necessarily complaints, but comments, areas of improvement that we heard from our staff, we heard from our patients, my colleagues and providers, that we knew we had to do work. So that's when we did the deep dive and, and looking at all of the data that we could have and what to work on. And then going to that next part. So, okay, we have, we have complaints and like I tell everybody, the complaint box is full, but the suggestion box is open. So when it comes to that, like, how are we going to be part of the solution? So what what do you think we need to do to improve the process? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, I view every time someone brings a complaint to me as an opportunity to learn about something we could do better. Um, I agree with Jennifer 100%, though, that it's much more effective if when the person who's bringing the complaint to you also has a solution. And... Uh, it, you know, I think part of that is when somebody comes to me with a complaint about the lab, I think engaging them in the, in the solution and assigning them, you know, to become part of the solution, to do a root cause analysis, to figure out why is it taking so long to prep a device case, for instance, or, you know, why it is that turnover time is taking so long. And I think the more that the staff come up with the answers the more receptive they are going to be to changing. Oh, sure. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, in most work settings, uh, people are being asked to do more with less, less staff, less resources, and so forth. So when it comes to setting goals with your teams, what are some tips you might offer on being realistic in this type of environment that, candidly, we all deal with to some extent? Yeah, I, th I think that this is critical when setting goals for your lab is to start small. Um it's a step at a time. And 
sometimes I'm a little impatient and I lose track of that. And thankfully I have a wife who pulls me back down to <laughs> reality and reminds me of where we've come. Um, because this is a gradual process and we're all on this journey continually. I, I don't think that anybody has perfected this art of, of running an efficient lab and, you know, taking optimal care of people. And so, you know, I think just having that perspective and realizing that you have to start small and every little victory should be celebrated. And, you know, I think, uh, the attitude of giving 10 compliments for every one criticism is really important that the staff know that they're making, um, accomplishments and doing well, um, and not being beat down continually. And Josh, you're so right. And, and so I was like feeling like I needed to give you jazz hands for what you were saying, you know, it, it, it's, it's true that we need to definitely be giving more compliments for every criticism. And just thinking about this and what you're saying, I'm like, gosh, I, I owe my staff a lot more compliments because of what we've been able to achieve over the past two years. And, you know, there's the pie in the sky, what we really, really want, but then there's the tangible and what we're going to be able to do in a certain time period. So I kind of look at this as long hanging fruit, you know, what you need for a step ladder for and what you really need to aim high for. And so that low hanging fruit is the stuff that you can make change without a ton of going resources externally, for example, going beyond your division or department. And so that's been really helpful with, with working with providers within our realm with, you know, actually not super, not a ton of resources, but being able to look at that low hanging fruit, like what can we improve on that we have control over? And then going to that next step, okay, now we need to engage administration into X, Y, and Z. So how do we go and do that? And yes, with a pie in the sky, I need more labs. We need more of this, you know, and being realistic in as much as it is difficult. And I agree with you too. Like you want it done yesterday, but it might not be done for years now. Okay, so... Help us understand how to approach and explain to our partners in administration what good and great look like uh, and how we need to work together to achieve these. I'd be happy to tackle that. We uh, recently had major issues with staffing, and I'm sure Jennifer's gone through some of this, and I think everyone across the the country and probably the globe is going through some of this right now um, with the pandemic and um, shortages in staffing and in hospitals. And I think sometimes we are tempted to do more than we should with the resources we have. And we had to make the difficult decision to shut the lab down this summer. Um, and that was the right thing to do um, because we didn't, we really didn't have the resources to be running the number of labs that we typically would run. And I'll tell you that um, brought the administrators to us. Uh, to have a discussion, a frank discussion about what the vision is for the EP department, how we can make it more effective, and what the proper resourcing is that we need in order to accomplish our shared goals and visions, you know, for taking really good care of patients and doing it safely. Dr. Wright? Yeah, I I hear you, Josh. And and sometimes being efficient can be detrimental when you're trying to prove your case. the example being, you know, we made significant adjustments into our discharge. Um, so we transitioned, uh, for example, our atrial fibrillation ablations, most of our AF ablations in our same day discharge. And that's based upon data that's been out there for a while. And our hands were forced during COVID. And that was, you know, because of lack of room availability in the hospital. So we had to make a change in order to keep the lab running. 
So we were able to do that. And without, you know, asking for more resources, we're still able to keep up with our ablation numbers, if not increase them by making those changes. But now looking at, well, what what else can you do without the resources? Number one. And, and number two, now that we've, we're becoming more efficient with our anesthesia utilization, um, we get block time and we might be done an hour or two earlier than we used to be during the day. And that total time counts towards our utilization. So now that we're more efficient, our utilization doesn't look as good as it used to be in the past. So it sometimes can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, you bring up a great point. And I think um, working with administration so that how you measure utilization and productivity is done correctly so it doesn't lead to disincentive to being efficient. Mm-hmm. In my last hospital I worked at, um, they did the same thing. It was like time in the lab was how they measured utilization. And so if you did an eight-hour AFib, that was better than a two-hour AFib because it was using more time in the lab. It didn't really make any sense, but that's how they were measuring it. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with a system where um, – AFib ablation was valued as an AFib ablation, period. And if you did in less time, it was valued, that's more value because it took up less time in the lab. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, sitting down with the administration, making sure that they're looking at it the same way you are, you might be shocked when you sit down with the administration and realize how they're measuring the productivity of your lab. Um, And then connecting the dots for how they're measuring it and whether that's, in fact, incentivizing all the staff and all the physicians to, in fact, be efficient in the lab. Another thing that comes up is what happens to your staff when you finish early. Mm-hmm. And so some labs um, will send their staff home and not pay them. Well, you talk about a disincentive for being efficient. <laughs> um, if I would personally drag my feet and not do anything, mm-hmm. you know, I'd make sure my shift lasted the full time so I don't lose any pay. Um, so I think that's really important that staff are not sent home early just to save a few dollars. Um, and then it, you know, it leads to, um, people creating bad habits and, you know, working slow intentionally, uh, just to make sure they don't lose any time on their paycheck. As we're engaging with each person in that process and they they might just know their own piece of the puzzle, but not see the whole picture. How is it that you would suggest we help others see what we see and why they're important to the whole system? I think data is really important. So collecting data, um, to be able to show, you know, what the current state is, and then also showing data that can be compared to, say, other institutions of where the prospect is going, and and to show what can be done with the more efficient process in the EP lab, and how beneficial that is to our patient population and to the hospital. How do you help others understand their role and take ownership? So I, I think that the ownership part is holding them responsible for their end of the bargain. Like you can't run a lab efficiently if you are not staffed appropriately. Um, you know, if you if you're understaffed, you may have to stop for lunch. Talk about a waste of time. Um, if you have the proper number of staff, you can uh, continue your case and and not you know stop the day. It has to be a partnership between administration and the physicians and it creates uh it requires a lot of dialogue um even today i just you know ran into our chief medical officer and we touched base about a couple of issues that um 
he knows about. And it was funny when my partners walked down the hall and he told them the exact same thing. Um, so it, it has to be consistent messaging too, between all your partners and that you have a shared vision between each other and what an efficient lab looks like and what your needs are in order to achieve those goals. Excellent. So let me ask you this. What is a reasonable amount of data to assemble and analyze and, and present so that it emerges as being valuable, but not, I guess, paralyzing or, or too complicated to actually act upon? When we started the process, we were looking at lab utilization, uh, assuming 7.30 to 5 p.m. day. Um, and so looking at uh, duration of cases, looking at staffing, looking at delays, to look at every single reason for delay got burdensome because at first we were trying to collect too much data. And then we kind of narrowed it down. We took a look at what are, the, what are the top causes for delay? Well, it was staffing, like lunches. So Josh, you hit the nail on the head with lunches. And then also um, anesthesia availability, provider delay. So providers in a meeting, providers giving a lecture, but they're scheduled to be in the lab. And then also potentially other delays like that we would call other. But then those were, you know, focusing on those targets was super helpful and enabled us to go after what we needed to the most. I agree completely. And I think that the the data you measure has to be able be there to drive you to the goals you've set. So for instance, we have a goal to start every case in our lab by 7.30. So we measure how, how often we actually achieve that goal. And if we're not achieving it, then we I have staff writing down why we didn't get that goal for every lab. So one of the main causes, I think, in every hospital is the physician not being there in a timely manner. And so we track that and we give reports. I did that this morning. I gave all my partners a report of how they were doing in that metric. And we have goals uh, to minimize that amount of time that they're waiting for us. All right. So uh, when the, for lack of a better term, when the finger pointing happens and uh, accountability comes into play, what do you do? You just point to the data, right? Numbers don't lie? Yes and no. Um, you can point to the data, but, you know, say, say it's your partner being late. We need to figure out why. Get down to the bottom line. Is it, is it just not feasible for you to start at 730? So why, why can't you start at 7.30? Is it because, you know, you're waking up too late in the morning? Is it because you need to get your kids on the bus? So there's certain things that are easily adjustable and there's certain things that aren't. But then if, if it's you got to get your kids on the bus at a certain time, say on Tuesdays, well, let's schedule you in the lab in the morning on Wednesday. So there's also, you know, looking at the origin of the problem too is important and to find out why. And that's, that's different than pointing the finger versus, oh, I just don't want to get up. That's a different story and a different conversation, too. Indeed it is. Well, we're going to continue this conversation on part two in this episode of our In the Rhythm podcast from Biosense Webster, again with our very special guests, Dr. Jennifer Wright and Dr. Joshua Silverstein. So join us on part two, won't you? This podcast is sponsored by Biosense Webster, Inc. The information contained in this podcast and findings and conclusions expressed are those reached independently by the authors. Copyright 2023 Johnson & Johnson Services, Inc. All rights reserved. EOS number 243-287-230-317.